Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. So I did a little bit of research online because there is a national day for every possible thing that exists. I believe last week at some point it was national like dog day. Yes. Okay. Yes. National dog day. Um, what I did not find that there has not yet been designated a national binoculars day. So I declare this morning that uh, September 1st specifically for today, because I asked, uh, you know, I mentioned bring binoculars if you have them, um, is National Binocular Day. Today is, just so you know. Um, I've declared that today. So, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, how many people actually own binoculars? Okay, there's a lot of people. I, I'm wondering if there's a generational thing, like, uh, you know, people today, they just, you know, when they're out in somewhere that they want to look at something, they just look it up online maybe. I don't know. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, binoculars. And, and I remember, you know, binoculars were these big old things and small things. We have, I have, I've, we've had these for years, these little binoculars. And, and it's funny because anytime we go somewhere, we go, you know, whether in the mountains or the ocean, um, we, Sherry or I, we're always trying to look at something. We say, okay, go grab the binoculars. For some reason, they are never in the car. I don't know why we keep binoculars in our house. What are we looking at from our house? <laughs> like, who needs binoculars at their house? Why aren't they in the car? <laughs> and, and so it's just so funny because we go places. And in, in fact, in fact this, this last week, um, later this month, uh, Sherry and I celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, yes, thank you. She has dealt with a lot. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, so anyway, we went um, out to Truckee and to kind of North Tahoe and spent a couple days. And, and uh, it's funny, again, even though I was thinking about binoculars, we left them at home. And, uh, you know, like wanting to look at things and see all that. And, and it just, it's just so interesting. But, but the, the beauty of binoculars is that, is that, is that is you want to see something that's far away. And what's interesting is when you use binoculars, it's kind of like everything in the middle disappears, doesn't it? It, just, it, it not only just brings something particular close, but everything in between disappears and becomes a non-issue, doesn't it? And you feel like you're right there. And I, I would imagine if somebody who's never heard of or seen binoculars before, they put them on, they, they, wouldn't it be kind of funny to watch them? They might even reach out to try to touch what suddenly came close. But, but it's interesting how binoculars do that. And, and so later on, we're, we're going to um, kind of come back to that. But, but you know what's interesting is, is we continue to walk through uh, the, the letter that Peter writes to a number of churches, and really I think he writes to our church, um, one of the things that he, he really looks at as we begin in chapter 3, ch starting in verse 8, he begins to look at this idea of, of what happens between our new life, which is brought to us through the death of Jesus Christ. When we receive new life, we receive new life because Jesus sacrificed his for ours. And really, the, one of the ways we identify with Jesus is, is that when we have new life, it's kind of we have a death to ourselves. 
and we surrender ourselves to Jesus. And so there's this new life, and then there's what we call the redemption of our bodies or the resurrection. When, when we see Jesus face to face, when we're brought into his presence physically, and, and all things are, are made right. That's like what we're going to. But, but what's in between, what's in between is basically the transformation of uh, where our character catches up with our position. And what I mean by that, our character catches up with our position, is that when, when we die with Christ and become, become forgiven of our sins, we receive salvation. Jesus, Jesus becomes Lord of our life and, we, and we, we surrender to him. When we die with Christ, something happens positionally. We are no longer subject to the consequence of sin in our lives. We, we, we will face short-term consequences, but not the long-term eternal consequence. And so our position is changed from being separated from God to being united with God. Our position changes, but rarely does our character immediately change, does it? <laughs> now, there's, there's some things that we trade out and we say, well, I'm not going to do this or be this anymore. But, but basically, between the time that we, we, we meet and, and we surrender ourselves to Jesus and the time that we're raised with Jesus, that we see him face to face, that's all that middle time is the transformation part where our character catches up with that position, that we are purified in Christ, that we are united with Christ. And so the duration of your life is that time that your character catches up with your position. Does that make sense? And, and, and it's interesting, if, if, we could, if we could think about this in, in the sense of, of binoculars, that, that when I become a Christian... I look forward to that time that I'll be glorified and made one with Christ, but there's a whole bunch of stuff between. And sometimes it's helpful to kind of do, to experience what binoculars help us experience and see over and through all of that struggle and all of that transformation and be reminded that Jesus has something for us on the other side as our character catches up with our position. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. And uh, we're going to go from 8 to, to verse 22 and through the rest of the chapter. And let me just read the whole, the whole passage for us here at the beginning. Um, in verse 8, he, be, he says, finally, after he's talked about this idea of, of what he's called us to do, how we engage culture. Last week we talked about how we engage government, how we engage our, our society, and how we engage with our families. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, 
But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring to us, uh, bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. This whole passage is a, is, 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 is a reminder of what's on the other side. As we walk through the, the valley and the mountains in between, and so he begins by saying this. He says, finally, in other words, to sum up everything, he, he just has finished talking about how we engage in the land of our exile, that a place where we don't belong, a place that is often against what, what God is calling us to be and how he's calling us to act and what he's, who he's calling us to be. And, and so we live in this place. And so he says, finally, to sum everything up, Basically, if we kind of skip through it, he says, finally, to sum everything up, love one another. <laughs> love is that summary. And, and really, the whole of the law, Jesus says, is summed up in love. He says that, and, and Paul reminds us of that in, in Romans 13. And the whole here, as, as Peter attests to, the whole of human relationships is fulfilled in love as well. So not only is the law of God fulfilled in love, but the, the whole of human relationships is fulfilled in love as well. That, that, that there's really no way around our calling as a, the people of God to love in spite of the situations and the experiences that we have. We as exiles in the way of Jesus are defined by loving both those who we feel like loving and those who we don't feel like loving. And so he begins in, in verse 8, and, and notice, notice what he says here. He says, finally, all of you, speaking to those in the churches, those who have surrendered their lives to Christ, those who are living together in gospel community, he says, finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And, and so he starts with this thing of how do, you, how do we respond and act with one another. And so here's what he says. He says, have a unity of mind. In other words, a cooperation in the midst of diversity. We work together even though we are different. Even though we are all different in personalities and we have different passions and desires, he says, be, be together even though you're different. And, and so the idea is that, that we may differ on the how to do certain things, but not on the what or why. The what being directing people toward Christ and the why because he's, he is the only answer. 
We, can, we can't argue on that, but, but we can do some differences on how we do that. However, there are some methods that aren't really reflective of Jesus, but there's a variety that are. And, and, and so he says, he basically, uh, uh, kind of the ground rules for how we function among one another is that we seek to honor Jesus first and foremost, we point the loss towards Jesus, and we build the church. That's what he calls us to do. He calls us to function that way. And, and so, so the, this unity of mind is the idea that we are all understanding the what and the why, and while we may differ on the how, we are together. Secondly, he says also with sympathy, in other words, compassion, feeling what others, others feel in order to respond with sympathy to their need, sharing in their joys and their trials, that, that how am I to relate to you? With sympathy, the idea of, of, of understanding, feeling what you feel in order so that I can, can respond in, in the way that God calls me to your needs. He says, brotherly love. This is a, a, a family sort of feel, the idea of brotherly love, this, this patient, kind, and honest love that, that we understand biblically, that is, that, is, that is biblical love, that is the love that Jesus loves us with, that is given to family, that we have this brotherly love. He says, a tender heart, which is the opposite of an insulated and unfeeling heart, a heart that actively uh, shares concerns for those around them. It's so easy to, to, to walk through life and experience the difficulties that we experience and our hearts become unsympathetic and hard. But, but God calls us to have a tender heart toward one another, even when it's difficult. And then he says, he says and be humble-minded. In other words, uh, dependent on God and approach him and others in vulnerability knowing what God has done for me that I pass that grace and kindness on to others. A humble mind, a mind that is surrendered, a mind that is vulnerable, uh, and, and allows God to do that work in us rather than fight him on, on that transformation that he wants to do in us, and that we pass that, that grace and kindness on to others. And so he starts out, and he says, he says, have have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And then he says this. He kind of transitions. He says, this is how you, how you treat those and you respond and you react and, and you live with those in gospel community, those who are part of the family. Then he kind of transitions. He said in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing." So he kind of switches from, here's how I want you to act and treat those within the gospel community, but then those who are outside the gospel community, those who are at home in this world, those who aren't with you in this exile because they haven't, they haven't come to Christ and, and, and cried out for salvation and, and they haven't received the forgiveness of their sins and changed their position to those who are around you, how do we interact with them? Basically, how we live with the world around us, the unsaved, those at home in this world, is exactly the same way as we live with those in gospel community. We love them. And, and here's what he says. Here's how he illustrates it. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless 
this, and he says, this is what you were called to. He says, this is what you are expected. This is what Jesus expects from us. And here's what's interesting. When he says, don't repay evil with evil or, 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 or reviling for reviling, there's, there's, I think, three levels of how we react to the behavior and the treatment that we receive from others. The first level, I would say, is, is what I would describe as the satanic level. This is the level that, that if we act this way, we reflect the attitude and, and the, the, the behavior of the devil, of the enemy. And that's when, we, that's when we repay evil for good. So when someone does good to us and we respond to them in an evil manner or, or, or an inappropriate manner, that's repaying evil for, for good that's been done. And that's exactly what the enemy wants and that's exactly what the enemy does. And so that's one level of how, how we interact with one another. Another level, which I would say is the best case that a human being can do, is that we repay good for good and evil for evil. That's the fair way, isn't it? That if someone does good to you, then you, if you're going to be fair about it, you do good back. If someone does evil to you, treats you poorly, then the fair thing is that you would do evil back to them or, 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 or repay them or, or treat them poorly. That's a fair thing, isn't it? And, and, and unfortunately, humanity is built on fairness. Fallen humanity is built on fairness that we want everything to be fair. And so if you treat me this way, I'm going to treat you this way. That's human nature. But see, there's a third level that, that, that Peter says that we are called to. He says, to this is what you were called. And he says, that's to repay evil with good. When people treat you poorly, you treat them well. And that is what I would say is the divine level. That's the way of Jesus level that we can only achieve through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because when you think of that, probably most of us would say, you know, if someone does something good for me, I have to be in a pretty bad mood to like be, repay them with evil. I mean, I have to be in a pretty bad way, but that happens, doesn't it? Our normal setting as human beings is that fairness. It's that, hey, if you're good to me, I'll be good to you. If you're bad to me, I'll be bad to you. But then there's this way of Jesus that is, if you are bad to me, I'm gonna be good to you because it is to this that we are called. It's beyond justice, reaching to mercy, reflecting Jesus. And see, what, what God has done is we are liberated to love our enemies and those who would harm us, those who would treat us poorly. We are liberated. That's part of the freedom that we receive in Christ. We are free to love those who both help us and hurt us. And, and that's how Jesus works in our lives. See, that's part of that thing between meeting Christ and seeing him face to face. All of that stuff in between when our character catches up with our position. Because you see, my character as it stands is, is more based on wanting to be fair, isn't it? But my character catching up with my position in Christ means that I will respond to people's bad behavior or bad treatment of me with blessing them, with doing good to them, with treating them in a way that maybe they don't deserve, but God calls me to. 
And, and, and so he goes on and he says, he says, bless for this, for to this, is, uh, this you were called that you may obtain a blessing because again, God will respond to your maturity and growth in him and he will bless you. He says in verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, let him turn away from evil and do good, let him seek peace and pursue it. One of the things that I think we, we struggle with when we think about this idea, if we come to a conclusion and say, okay, this world, I will never belong in this world as it presently exists. I will belong in a, in a recreated world, in a redeemed world that, that Jesus will make right and he'll return. But, but I won't belong here until then. And so it's easy for me to come to a conclusion to say, well, as long as I'm here, in the flesh, as long as I'm here in this world, then I just am going to have to endure and I'm going to be unhappy. I'm not going to enjoy it. It's going to be ugly if I'm really going to take that on because you think about it, that, that this world really isn't reflective of who Jesus is and who he's causing me to become. But here's the reality. We don't, we don't walk around having long faces and saying, oh, well, you know, I'm in exile. I, you know, I, I just, I, I don't belong here. And, and there's nothing good about this world. Um, I mean, if, if somebody sees my example and wants to know Jesus, that's great. Um, but, but, but it's interesting because Peter says this. He says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, loving our lives today and seeing good days is not a bad thing. God calls us not to walk around kind of moping, saying, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't belong and I'm sad. He says, look, I want, you to, I want you to love life that I've given you and see good days. And he gives, he gives some, some almost a, a recipe of, of how can we love life and see good days. Because what we're not called, we're not called just to endure our lives and we're not called just to escape our lives. We're actually called to enjoy our lives in Christ. That our joy in our lives can rise above the circumstances that we might be facing. And, and, and so what he says, he says, here's, here's kind of the, here's, we can find this joy because God, one, is sovereign. So we can take a positive approach to life. And by faith in Jesus, make the most of every single situation that we face. Because of Jesus, the situations that we face, we can make the most of them. And so he gives some specifics on how do you love life and, and, and how, do you, how do you kind of enjoy life? In verse 10, he talks about this. He says, first, he says, control your tongue. One of the keys to finding joy in life is a controlled tongue. Um, that's not just for you to enjoy life, but for the people around you to enjoy life. <laughs> this is a both and thing. Because the better we control our tongues, the right words at the right time, rather than often what we're characterized by, the wrong words at the wrong time. I mean, we can even be well-meaning and blurt out maybe a, a desire to be helpful, but blurt out wrong words at the wrong time. We can even blurt out right words at the wrong time, can't we? <laughs> Maybe it was right words, but it was not good timing. And, and, and so one of the things that he says to, to enjoy life 
is, is that we are called to control our tongues. And again, that makes life better for everyone when we are discerning and controlling of our tongues. The second thing he says is he says, do good and hate evil. And I think the way, the place we re, that we apply this is that he says, do good. That's a, an action that I do and hate evil. Hate doing evil. There's a connection there. The way we tend to, to apply this is that we say, I'm gonna do good and I'm gonna hate you because you're evil. <laughs> Isn't that kind of the way we do it? We, we categorize all these people into these containers and compartments and we say, they're all, they're all characterized by evil. But what he says is he says, do good and hate evil. Hate doing evil. This isn't necessarily a judge other people for their evil because God will take care of that. But what he says is do good and hate evil. Hate doing evil. How many of us really hate doing evil? Because I think if, if, if I'm really honest, there are times in my life that I really want to do the thing that is wrong. That I am passionate about doing the thing that is wrong, that I am drawn to doing the, things that, the thing that is wrong, but I'm really good at pointing out the wrong pursuits of others. <laughs> and so, so one of the keys to enjoying life as an exile is that we do good and that we work to hate evil in our own lives. That's where it starts. And if you can figure out how to consistently hate evil in your own life, then I think you could maybe start helping other people hate evil and pointing out the things in their lives. But we gotta be careful. And then the third thing that he says is he says, seek and pursue peace. Again, I feel like my default setting is that I pursue being right more often than I pursue peace. And the reality is, is that my pursuit of right is, is right in my mind, right in my conception so often. But he says, here's how to, how to enjoy life as best as we can is to seek and pursue peace. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. He says, peacemakers will be called sons of God. One of the primary characteristics of Jesus is that Jesus, one way or another, brings peace. Jesus ultimately will bring peace. And when we pursue peace and we live in peace with one another, we reflect Jesus. And, and so, see, we can do these things. We can live in this way with a controlled tongue, doing good and, and hating evil and, and seeking and pursuing peace. We can do this, trusting God, even when others don't respond or are downright evil because God is faithful to act. The, I think one of the reasons, at least for me, that I don't do this regularly is because I don't get the response from people that I want. And I feel like I'm the one who needs to fix them. <laughs> and, and so I basically leave what I'm supposed to be doing and I do something else. And, and so, so we, can, we can trust God because look at, look at what he says. He says, 
He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The righteous, those who, who have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, and those who are becoming more and more like Jesus, and his ears are open to their prayer. But listen to this. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That is a reminder to us that we, we, if we are faithful to live and behave and act in the way that God has called us to live, that, that God sees us, he also sees those things that are wrong. That he says his face is against those who do evil. Moving on to the next, the next verse in, in verse 13. We see this pattern uh, of Jesus. And, and, and here what it says is, he says, now, now who is there to harm you? Actually, we're gonna jump down. I'm gonna jump down because I wanna come back to this because we, I wanna see the reason we can do this before we get there. So in verse 18, it says this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in spirit. And, and so here's, here's what we see in the life of Christ and how Jesus gives us a, a model, an example, a pattern to live. Jesus was persecuted and murdered by corrupt human powers. That's what, we, that's what we, we see in the Gospels, that Jesus was persecuted and murdered by corrupt human powers, but in reality, he was dying for the sins of all humanity, even those very corrupt powers that murdered him. See, we, we see one thing, but there's another reality. We see Jesus being murdered by a corrupt system and corrupt people, but in reality, he was actually doing something that was far greater than that. And afterwards, he was vindicated and exalted as the one true king over all human and spiritual powers. That's what it says. It says, it says at the end in verse 22, notice what, what he writes. He says, uh, through the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, this place of power with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. That's including all of the spiritual beings in the spiritual realm. Jesus is king over not only all nations, earthly nations, but all heavenly and spiritual powers. And so, and so what, what, what he says, this is the example of Christ. And, and he says that basically baptism reminds us that we as Jesus followers received that same vindication. Look what he says Look what he says in verse 20. He says, because, he says, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, not the idea that baptism is a salvation thing. It doesn't cleanse our sins. But he says, it is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, it is a reminder, it is a witness, it is a testimony of who we belong to and that we've, been, we've, we've died and raised with Christ, that we have participated in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. It is that public confession, that public display that I have died with Christ to myself and I've been raised with him to life, and I now live for him. 
And, 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 so, and so he says, you know, similar to Noah, we've been saved through the waters as a symbol and reminder that we share in the death and resurrection of Jesus. However, between our death, our salvation, and our resurrection, redemption of our bodies, there is the transformation we experience through our, throughout our lives as we live in this exiled state. And so he says, let me just explain to you and remind you that Jesus died for those who were unworthy, who were unrighteous, but he did it. Why? Because Jesus loved. It's because of Christ's love, because of God's love for humankind that Jesus did that. Now let's back up to verse 13. In verse 13, he says, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Who's gonna, who's gonna hurt you if you're doing good? But there's also a re- reality that we live in a fallen, sinful world. And so in 14, he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. God sees, hears, and recognizes and will bless. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Here's the unfortunate reality that we experience. Suffering is is a natural state in exile. If you think about it, if if a people are exiled to a foreign nation and they are recognized as exiles, there's going to be difficulty. That is the natural state. In this world, things are not as God originally intended. And here's the thing. We don't suffer because God likes to see us suffer. That's not why we suffer. We suffer because we do not belong to the current state that the world is in. There is a constant battle, one side to make us like that world and one side to make us like Jesus. The good news is that that suffering won't last. That there will be an end to to all of the difficulty, all of the suffering that we, we experience and we face. Because of our secured future in Christ, there is no permanent harm of Jesus' followers. It is all temporary. Notice, notice what he says. He says, but even if you do suffer, even if you do suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. He says, don't fear that. Don't be troubled. But, but take your focus and place it on Jesus. See, God sees and he loves and he will bring blessing. And and so he says, when this temporary harm, suffering, difficulty happens, and it will, we will face that temporary suffering. He says, replace fear and trouble with Christ as Lord. Turn everything over to Jesus, focus on Jesus, live to reflect Jesus, and recognize that it is okay to displease men when that comes in conflict with pleasing God. Recognize that that's okay, and there will be consequences for that. And he says, he says, what you want to do is focus on Christ. Let Christ reign in your heart and express why you have hope. He says, be ready to give an answer to the hope that is within you. 
You see, here's the, here's the reality. Crisis creates the opportunity for witness when a believer behaves with hope and faith. Crisis creates an opportunity for witness. When I face a crisis in my life, when I face difficulty, when, I, when something comes up that I don't expect, when I face crisis, it is an opportunity when I choose to respond with hope and faith. And that is, that is a choice that I have to make. When I run into that crisis, I have a choice to either give in to that or I have the choice to, to, to turn my eyes on Jesus and respond in, in, in hope and faith. And he says that, that, that we're called, when we give people that answer, that, 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 that I think this verse is, is so easily taken out of context. Peter says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Oftentimes, I think we take that verse to pummel people into the kingdom. <laughs> we, we, we use that to argue with people about God's truth and, and we almost bully them into a place of submission. And it's interesting. Listen to what he says. Listen to the whole thing. He says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I see very few Facebook apologetic arguments that are gentle or respectful. <laughs> and oftentimes when, when we as believers confront people who are unbelievers, who have different beliefs, I don't know if gentleness and respect is the characterization of those conversations. But that's what Jesus calls us to. And, and it's interesting because there's gentleness and respect versus arrogance and a know-it-all attitude and kind of the, the this is God's truth, mic drop, walk away. <laughs> it's kind of that attitude of, well, I'll give people the truth and then let God sort them out. <laughs> and, and, and it's interesting because uh, the reality that Peter's calling us to is that, that we are called to be witnesses, not prosecuting attorneys. And so often we see ourselves as the prosecuting attorney. We're witnesses. We're on the witness stand proclaiming what we have seen God do in us. That is way better. That is way more effective than us being a prosecutor. Because frankly, we're, we're not the prosecutor. <laughs> Believe it or not, the prosecutor is the devil. Because Jesus is the defense attorney, isn't he? For mankind. Jesus is our defense. And God is the righteous judge. The one who brings accusations is the devil. We are not the prosecuting attorney. We are witnesses to the glory of Jesus and what God can do. See, Peter does not suggest that we argue with lost people, but rather that we present an account of what we believe and why we believe it in a loving manner. I read an, an article recently of, of, of a group of people who, who claim to follow God and, and they, they're against certain things. And a quote from one of the men in, in, in this newspaper article that I read, he, he made the statement, he said, I care more about the truth than I care about humans. 
That's nowhere near what Jesus says. <laughs> That's nowhere near what God believes about humanity. And, and, and so the reality is that suffering is hard and we face difficulty. And in the midst of facing difficulty and suffering in our lives, we are called to love through that. Now, now, now I wanna come kind of full circle and, and here's what I want us to understand because I think this is really important because we have to have faith and hope. Suffering is difficult and I think suffering in our lives comes from some different places. Suffering comes to the life of an exile walking in the way of Jesus as a result of living in a sinful world. You will suffer as a result of living in a world that is broken and fallen and sinful. You will suffer in ways that you don't deserve. Because of the fallen world we live in, you or someone you know will get a disease, an illness. And, 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 and things will happen. There will be a tragic accident to someone that you're connected with because we live in a sinful world and people make sinful decisions. The second place that, that, that suffering comes from is it, it's a result of sinful humans, people doing evil to one another. And most of the time, it's not evil that you brought on yourself. People will do evil and you will suffer. The third place that, that suffering comes from, it is a result of spiritual attack. It's the fact that we live in a world that the Bible says that the prince of this world is the, the devil. And that because we are exiles, because we've been taken out of this world and this world is not where we belong, there will be spiritual attack. Because we're doing right. Because you're doing good, you will be attacked. And you'll suffer. And here's the encouragement, because that doesn't sound very positive or encouraging. If you brought a binocular, binoculars, pull them out. I don't know if you brought them or not, but I brought these, as I said. And uh, here's what I want you to do, to take my glasses off to use binoculars, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> think about that. But take out your binoculars, and, and I want you to just kind of raise them up and kind of look, and, and just notice what happens. Um, let's see. Oh, man, I... Oh, look at that. I see, I see so many people so much closer. I don't really see people way in the back. Oh, and now the balcony. Oh, hi. <laughs> you, that was great. That was perfect timing. I looked right at you and you were waving to me. Notice that everything between you and what you're looking at disappears. And you see what you're looking at. What you're focused on, that comes into clarity and it's like it's right there. You see, so often we can't see past the suffering because it's right in front of us. We can't see past the suffering to the joy and the blessing that God promises to his people because we're, we're in difficulty. We, we have a hard time hanging on to hope. And, 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 and it's really difficult to see past that pain to what God has for us. And so how do we, how do we basically do in our, in our lives what we do with binoculars with scenery? How can we have kind of a binocular perspective when we're in the midst of difficulty and pain? Here's, here's, what we, here's how we see what's ahead. 
First of all, it's through scripture. This is the foundation of truth that shows us what is past the pain. And so you have to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. Secondly, is people, the gospel community. I believe the number one function of the gospel community, the community of people that you have, your small group, your group of people that walk together toward Jesus and the church at large, the number one function of the gospel community is to help us see past our suffering. Because here's the deal. There's always someone in the gospel community around you who has faced what you are facing today. There is someone who's faced that. There's someone who's dealt with that. There's someone who's on the other side. There's someone who's blazed a trail. Whether it's cancer, whether it's the loss of a loved one, whether it's being persecuted for doing right, there are people all over who who have experienced that and who have walked through and are at that place where they have seen God's faithfulness and God move in their lives. And, And so part of what we are called to do is have the humility to admit to one another what we're going through and letting God repaint your picture through them. That's the starting point. That whatever you're facing today, whatever you're struggling with today, whatever news you got this week, that there is probably someone in this room who God has shown his faithfulness to. And the reason they're here and the reason you're here is for you to connect and you to kind of look through all of the pain and and see what they can be. They can be kind of the binocular holders for you in your life. They can say, nope, look here. Because see, this is where God was faithful with me. And this is where I've come to because of his faithfulness. You see, we find those people in the community that God has placed us into and they help us hold and focus the binoculars so we can see how God has been faithful to them. And here's how I wanna close this morning. Because I feel like that this is so significant because the reality is that we face suffering from all sides physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, all of that. Let me ask this. If, if this describes you, I want you to stand. If you're a person who has faced sickness, loss, maybe lost a job, maybe lost a relationship, tragedy has happened, yet you have experienced and you're at a point where you have seen God's faithfulness and you could even explain God's faithfulness in the process, I want you to stand. That's pretty awesome that something in your life you face that, that you would count as suffering, that, that you've walked through and you've seen God's faithfulness and you're at a place where you could even express how God has been faithful. Look at all the people who are standing. Go ahead and have a seat. Have a seat. You see, many of us, in fact, the very people who are standing are probably going through other things now that they haven't gone through before. And, 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 and you are surrounded by such a group of people that all you have to do is be honest in what you are facing and what you are suffering through. And there will be people who can come around and support you. 
and to help you focus your binoculars so the distance between what you're experiencing and what God has for you, you can see that decrease. You can see the hope that is set before us. I want to invite the prayer team to come forward right now. And um, I want to pray for us. And, and here's what I would ask. If you are one of those people who can't see across the valley this morning, I would ask you to come forward and, 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 and ask for prayer. But even more than that, you saw people around you standing. Allow yourself to reach out and receive encouragement and hope from those people. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning. And God, I thank you for your the way that you work in us, God. I thank you that even though we face suffering on so many different fronts and levels, that God, you are faithful and that you've given us your word that assures us and you've given people in our lives who can encourage us. And so Father, this morning, I pray for those who are suffering and struggling this morning, that God, before they leave this place, that they would hear the voice of another person who you have been faithful to and that they can speak encouragement and faith and hope into their lives. God, I thank you for your providence and your sovereignty. And we we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.